Let's turn the Bible to Mark chapter 2, if you got it. Mark chapter 2, and, and um, we're going to talk today in the way of Jesus. You know, we've been going through the way of Jesus and looking at the Jesus lifestyle, and there's six key principles, and here they are. Uh, Jesus was always truthful. He, he lived free, and he healed, and, and he spiritually and sometimes physically. He engaged, uh, taught us to engage our neighbor, those far from God. He found his calling in a small group of people, and he always put the kingdom first. But today, we're going to talk about how Jesus was always practicing God's presence. He, he practiced the presence of God, and, and, and it was something that he did all the time. And specifically to that today, I'm going to talk to you about what I'm just calling God's secret weapon to overcome a disordered life. God's secret weapon to overcome a disordered life. I don't think that it would be any shock that I could say today that so many of us today wear busyness as a badge. We, 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 how many times have you found yourself saying, I've said this a million times in my own life, oh, I would have called you, but I'm so busy, or oh, I, or, or even people, um, you ever had this happen to you? It happens to me all the time, and, and I do it. It goes both ways. I'll call somebody, hey, I know you're so busy. You know, we apologize for stepping into each other's lives, and, and I think we are just at a place where we, you know, I could read for you study after study, statistic after statistic, but I, I don't think I have to sell it this morning that the average person is toxically exhausted in their heart, in their rhythms. And we're going to talk about what I believe is God's secret weapon to overcome a disordered life. And it's the idea of Sabbath. And, and Sabbath is a sneaky thing, especially if you, you know, you're not uh, a, a growing up a, a, in the Jewish frame of mind. And, and we, were, we were taught as evangelicals, it's just a day and, and, and how to kind of treat that day. And some of you grew up in societies. I know the, the hometown that I grew up in, uh, you couldn't sell anything alcoholic on Sundays. Some of you kind of grew up in that, or there were all kinds of different rules and regulations. It comes from a couple of places in Scripture, and I'm not, I'm not going to read the whole Ten Commandments, but it is one of the Ten Commandments. And in Deuteronomy 5, it, I just want to give a reference to it. Here's the gist of it. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, and on that day, no one in your household may do any work. And he tells us to remember that you were once slaves. Remember that I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. So in Deuteronomy 5, there's, there's a few reasons that we have the Sabbath. Now in Mark, where I told you to open your Bible to, uh, the, the way, in the way of Jesus, Jesus was honestly encountering resistance all the time on the Sabbath. Jesus healed often on the Sabbath. He really did. So he was taking a lot of heat from the religious community about how he lived his life on the Sabbath. And because it, it was kind of unorthodox. People weren't used to a man doing work on the Sabbath. And Jesus did at times. And so it's a little different. So he's, but he has this thing he says to the Pharisees, and it's a pretty neat exchange because I believe that Jesus I would not say he redefined the Sabbath. I would say that he probably just reframed it. He helped us understand it a little deeper. So here we go, Mark chapter 2, verse 23. It says, It happened that Jesus was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. They, they were, in other words, it's like walking through a buffet. You know, they're eating. They're going to eat some food because they're hungry. 
The Pharisees, who were they? They were the religious elite, right? They were the gatekeepers of all religion, and they were very hard to deal with. And so the Pharisees were saying to Jesus, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now you say, wait a minute, you mean picking grain? Yeah, it was reaping. Like literally, the fact that they were in a field, this is how far the Pharisees took it. They actually had the number of steps you could take on the Sabbath before it was a sin. Right? So some of you like get your steps in, right? Yeah, well, Jews weren't allowed to get their steps in. Right? I mean, they, they, you would have gotten like an electronic shock or something maybe on, on a modern day, you know, wristband or something. Like it, they were that specific. There were all kinds of rules that, you, that they had that it was very restrictive. And so Jesus is they're like, hey, they, they, they're reaping. They're picking, they're picking off the fruit of the vine, so to speak. And that's a sin and they should never do that. And so Jesus said to him in verse 25, He said, have you never read what David did when he was in need and he and his companions became hungry and how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests? And he also gave it to those who were with him. And Jesus said to them, that's the the religious gatekeepers, he said, very, very important verse right here. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So what does he mean right there? He says the Sabbath was made for us. It was a gift to us. Literally, don't miss that. The Sabbath is a gift. If you'll receive the gift, it will be a gift for you. But we have to learn to practice it. We actually do have to learn to practice our faith. I love what Dallas Willard one time said. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite quotes from him. If anything about you want to read by Dallas Willard, man, go for it. It's, it's good stuff. And Dallas Willard said this. He said, grace is, not opposed to, to, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. See, we, we think that anything graceful is like, I can't do anything. I'm not supposed to do anything. Grace is opposed to you earning your salvation, but we are to practice our faith. We are to practice certain places within our faith, and this is one of them. And so if you look at what we just read in Deuteronomy, what you really see, I think, are three verbs. You see three, what's a verb? Something you do, right? Um, it's kind of a confluence. And I kind of just drew it out very poorly right here for you in Photoshop. I was never uh, with a mouse. So, yeah, that's about as good as I can do. But if you know what a confluence is, it's where a couple of rivers come together. And, and so really in Deuteronomy 5, you see three verbs that we're to, to execute when it comes to the Sabbath. We're to observe it, that is keep it holy, right? We are to rest and we're to remember. And that's a big thing. I don't think a lot of us understand how important that is to God, that we remember who he is and what he's done. So the idea of Sabbath is pretty simple. It's that it's not so much a rule that we're to follow. It's a relationship that we're to treasure. That's the idea of a Sabbath. It's, It's not just a rule to be followed. It's a relationship to treasure because God gave it to us as a gift. But I want to focus today on the the why. Have you ever thought about why? If Jesus said right there in Mark chapter 2 that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, why does God give me the Sabbath? It's a gift. 
And if you can give it in your mind like that, you won't see it as this really weird observation or even regulation. The Pharisees saw it as a regulation to be regulated. And Jesus saw it. No, 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 no. God gave it to you as a gift. So let's talk about why based on what we see here in Mark chapter 2. Here's, number, here's the first principle about why the Sabbath God gave it to you. Number one, God gave me the Sabbath because I was created for order, not disorder. I was created, you were created, let me tell you something, friends, when, if your life, if, if you are overloaded and weary in your heart and you're exhausted, that's not what you were created for. I'm telling you, you're not, you were not created for that. Now listen, if I ask for participation, everybody's going to be lying if they don't raise their hand. We've all hit many times where we're just, I mean, weary. I'm not talking about sleepy, I mean weary. We've all hit very exhausted times in our lives. And so what you see is that a lifestyle out of rhythm, a lifestyle of hurry isn't a disordered life. It's a disordered heart. And, and so we have to get to that place where we understand that we, God did give us a way out of this. And it's, it's called the, the, the Sabbath. So you were created. So think about this. In the six days of creation, what do you see that God did? He, he created day one, created day two created on day three. He created some different things on day four, created some different things on day five, then on day six. And then what did he do? He broke the rhythm, right? He broke the rhythm. So if God does that, he does it for a reason. So what what do you see? Even by the installation of a seven-day week, we kind of model our week around that. What happens right there? You got six days, stop. Six days, stop. Six days, stop. You see the cadence of that? There's a rhythm there. And God gave me that because I'm supposed to have a life of order. What Sabbath does is it, is it resets. It resets a disordered life. And Jesus, I think that's what he was getting at when he said, no, no, no. This is a, this is a real gift for you. Um, and every time I think of the Sabbath, when I get much into, I, I really, I don't know why, but I always have this vision that comes back to me. It's a memory that I'll never forget. Um, growing up a kid, you, you heard some, uh, how much, you know, we grew up in a hunting family, and, you know, and, and so we, we loved to hunt and, and love, love being out in creation that way. And, and it's, it's one of those things that's just part of my, I mean, it's um, fourth, fifth, sixth generation de- devoted outdoorsman, I guess you'd say, and didn't really have much of a choice. I, I guess I did have a choice. My dad wasn't too hard on making me do it, but boy, we sure did learn to love it. Um, I, I, but if you grew up in a hunting family, if you didn't, it'd be hard for you to understand this. But if you, if you like golf, well, then I can tell you, like, one of, one of the bucket list holy grails of golf is getting to play at St. Andrews, where golf was created, right? Right, where it started, or maybe getting to play at Augusta, or getting to play at Pebble Beach. Well, if you grew up in a hunting family, getting to hunt out west is a big deal. Getting to hunt in Montana, or hunt, hunt in you know, uh, Wyoming, or Idaho. And I, I, I remember my, my first out west hunt, I got to go to Oregon. And, and I, was in my, uh, I was in my late 20s, maybe, maybe almost 30, uh, and there was a, a church member who, uh, his dad, their family owned 30 thousand acres in Oregon. I don't even want to think about the property taxes on that. Like that's, that's hard to fathom, right? 30,000 acres. And he said, uh, hey, uh, and his, his dad says, hey, if you want to come out and hunt our ranch, you, you should do it. And I said, Are you, okay, I'm coming. Like if, you, if you're on, in the South, we don't always mean it when we say y'all should come over. 
I mean, we don't always mean that, you know. I don't know how it goes in Oregon, but you just extend, I'm on a plane, I'm, bu- I'm buying a ticket within the next 30 minutes. You seriously mean that? He said, I'm serious, I mean it. So I went. Um, and, and I got out there, and, you know, growing up in the South, we have, you know, we have hickory trees, we have, you know, hackberry trees, we have ridges, we have creeks, we have hollows or hollers, depending on what part of the state you grew up in. You know, we have all kinds of different things. Out there, they have one tree. They're all green. Um, and it was in the high desert of Oregon, which is central Oregon. And so the mountains in some ways were kind of inverted. You would look out across, you would look out across the plains and we were mule deer hunting and, and you would look out across the plains and it just looked like scrub brush. And then you'd go every hundred yards and there'd be a big canyon, like inverted, just canyons. And you're like, oh man. So it was, it, you would have to traverse these canyons. Well, I don't know if, if how you would feel, but for me at, at 30,000 acres, I, I knew I was going to get lost. I, I'm going to die on my first out west experience. They're never going to find me. They even had one canyon called Dead Man Canyon. And I'm like, hey, why don't y'all? Call? Well, we found a dead man there one time. I'm like, oh, well, there's going to be two unless you stay with me. I, I, and I'm really good at land navigation, man. I am. I mean, I'm, I am. I, I, there's a lot of things I'm not good at. I, I'm good at knowing where I'm at. And I did not know where I was uh, often. And so he told me, he said, look, I'm going to meet you in about four hours on this side of, of this canyon. So I, I began, and every time I would go down in a canyon, I would come up and go, I don't exactly know where I'm at. I would go down, and it would take me an hour to climb out, and I'd be like, wow, it all looks the same. And then, but there was one thing I kind of knew the general direction, because he said head west, and, and so, you know, west. There, there you go. That'll, that'll help you a lot, you know. And I'm watching the sun, and I looked, I looked probably a half mile to a mile out, maybe two miles out, and I saw kind of like this. This is the Oregon, show this picture. This is the Oregon high desert. Now, those mountains were like tiny little drops in the distance. It, it looked like the very front of that picture, but I saw this little tree. And it, it looked a lot like that. It was just a scrub brush tree in the high desert prairie. And it was about two, maybe one to two miles out. And what I did was every time I would go in a canyon, I would come up and I'd have to find that tree with my, with my optics. And I would find that tree and I would realign myself with that tree. And that was the, that was the heading, my GPS. And it always helped me get back on route. I used that tree every single time for hours as I would come up out of canyons and it would line me up. And that's not what I think the Sabbath does. I think you go down in life and you, when you come, when you find yourself out of rhythm and you come up out of a dark place or you come up out of a heavy place or you come up out of a disoriented place or a season of life, what the Sabbath does is it reorients you. And that's, that's really what I think about what it means to reset. Jesus gave me the Sabbath to reset order to a disordered lifetime. But there's another principle that I want to share with you, and that's that God gave me Sabbath to what I would say restore practical life. You say, what do you mean by that, Jason? To restore practical life. Well, if the Sabbath is a gift, I think this is why you see Jesus not freaking out that they were doing something that was unlawful on the Sabbath because God didn't make that law. They did. They made that law. They made the law that you, you, you can't pick the grain, right? I mean, or they, they, they took it further. Let me say it this way. They took it further than it was supposed to have gone. 
right? So what they did is they, they, they really, they went way further out than, than even when God gave them restrictions. There were, there were restrictions that God did give on the Sabbath. He did. He did give restrictions for certain reasons, but they made way more rules and regulations out of it. See, I think what happened was, you know, we're hard on the Pharisees, and I think they deserve it. Um, but I think in this particular case, honestly, I think they were just doing the best they could. They, they, got, the, they got the rule right. When you look at the story, they, they got the rule right, but, get, but they got the reason wrong. Does that make sense? They got the rule right, but they got the reason wrong. And if you get the reason wrong, then you're going to get into a very legalistic form of life. And that's, what really, that's, that's the story of the Pharisees in the end. They put so much emphasis on the rules, they forgot the relationship. They actually lost sight of it altogether. And so what I'm saying to you is we can do a lot of things right in church or even in the, 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 the Christian life, but we can get the reasons wrong, right? So, 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 so Jesus told, no, no, this is a gift for you, and I want to make it a gift, and I want it to restore practical life. You see, I think so many times we're burdened and we're heavy and we're exhausted but God's not doing that. We're doing it to ourselves. The Sabbath w- was, was really a gift, and Jesus told us that in verse 27. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. In verse 28, he said, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. See, Jesus was healing on the Sabbath because he's like, hey, hold on a minute. And there, he goes into many discourses about this with him. He said, hey, wh- which is worse, like to leave them unable to walk for the rest of their life? Or should I just wait till, I don't know, in this particular case, Monday, oh, then I can heal you. It's not practical. Jesus is saying that this is life too. And I'm giving them life right here. I'm not going to deny life just because it's the wrong 24-hour period of that. What Sabbath is meant to do is break what I would call our normal rhythms. Like, right, if you find yourself going seven days a week, or here we go, if you find yourself answering emails and taking Zoom calls seven days a week, friend, you're doing it wrong. Now, I didn't say that that's never going to happen. I didn't say God's going to, you know, hammer you because you have to go in on a call one day. But if you find yourself in a rhythm of doing that, your life is going to be disordered. I promise you. It's just going to be disordered. And and, and let's, let's be honest. All of us have been in that place. There's not a person in here that hasn't struggled with that. God really convicted me about a year ago. I'm serious, man. I, I, don't, I don't preach this stuff unless it goes, you know, through my life first. Unless I just don't like the principle, then I just preach at you. But um, it works. But for me, I, I mean, he really convicted me about a year ago about, hey, there's no Sabbath much in your life. And boy, I heard him. And, and since then, I, I have honored that. I, I really have. Um, and yesterday, I, t- I tend to make sure that Saturday, I don't, I don't do normal church work, put it that way. I may work, I may do something, but I, I, don't, I do things that are life-giving. And I think it's, it's a way of restoration. Now, I'm going to give you a third principle, though. God gave me the Sabbath to remind me of his providing nature. And that's what we see in Deuteronomy. Don't you find it interesting that in Deuteronomy at the very end, 
He attaches the exodus to the Sabbath. Isn't that weird? Well, it's not really weird if you understand the reason that he's, that he's doing it. In Deuteronomy 5, he said, remember that I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. Observe the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. On that day, no one in your house should do any work. Remember that you were once slaves. You see, that, that idea is what, what the Hebrew would call Shabbat. And it, and it, it you know, it, very complicated word. It means stop. <laughs> right? It just means stop. Break the rhythm. And I will tell you this, Christian friends, and I say this with you not from up here talking down, from out there among you. It's not a suggestion. Think about that. You know, I don't think any. can you imagine if you knew somebody that committed murder and they were one of your close friends? Ah, you really shouldn't do that. That's not a good idea. If you knew somebody that committed murder and they were close to your friend, you would freak out. Oh my gosh. That's one of my better friends. They just killed somebody. If you, if you have a close friend, if you've ever had a close friend I have that commits adultery, you would be like, that, that's one of, my, I had one, of my, one of my closest friends one time. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Look at that. If that can happen to him, it can happen to anybody. If you, you, would, you would have an intense reaction, but none of us, we just kind of look at the Sabbath like, ah, you know. Eh, sort of, kind of, maybe, when I can. Friends, it was such a big deal that God put it in stone. He put it in stone. That's how big a deal it was. And I think when we don't honor it, we don't honor him. I think when we don't honor it, we mock him. And he, because he gave it to us as a gift. See, when you... When you stop, when you honor the Shabbat, when you, when you stop, when you stop your work, you know what you're doing? Seriously, you know what you're doing? You're trusting. You're trusting. Oh, God, I, I'm going to remember. You know what? I'm going to remember that my work doesn't save me. I'm going to remember, God, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to lay down my work today because I know that my paycheck does not come from my employer. My paycheck comes from you. Let me tell you, since we're all in church, may as well be, you know, fully confessional here, you know. We've had a very busy week, great week. Man, we just came off seven baptisms this past week. Come on. Let's, I mean, how about that? A clear view. We've had a very busy week, and you know what I didn't get done, man? I worked on Friday, but Saturday was coming, and I didn't have all of these images ready. You know, I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? Well, I'm preaching on Sabbath. I can't work tomorrow. So, you know, got up at 5 a.m., which is about when I get up anyway, but I got on it. And it all worked out. I'm standing here. and It, it, it all worked out. It all worked out. You would never even have known I'm so good, you know, <laughs> right? But I'll tell you, mentally... I got 24 hours of disconnection, and that's the idea, that you get life back 
Because you've got to understand that God is teaching them. There was a time that you were slaves and I brought you out. Your work, you weren't good slaves. Like Pharaoh didn't let y'all out because y'all were such good slaves. You're so good. I'm going to stop beating you. It's not what he did. No, I brought you out. I brought you out. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. I think when we don't honor the Sabbath, we're just afraid and we're weary. But Jesus made a promise. Here we go. Look at it. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Let me teach you. Let me, let me, let me, let me teach you. Because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your soul, not your body. Did you notice that? Not your body. What is your soul? Your mind, your heart, your will, your emotions? I've been physically tired many times. There's nothing worse than being soul tired. And many of you have been soul tired many times. My, and, it's not for, and it's not always from bad stuff. It just, you're just spent. Jesus said, learn from me. Come to me. That's a promise, you guys. It's a promise. But I will tell you this. Listen to me really clear, okay? Sabbath and practicing the presence, Sabbath won't just happen to you. You, you, won't, you won't just pop out of bed one day and say, oh, I'm going to just magically start Honoring the Sabbath because there's always going to be people and things pulling you, like Michael Corleone said, he's pulling you back in, right? Some of y'all didn't watch The Godfather, did you? Um, yeah, pulling you back in and pulling you back in. There's always something pulling you back in. And Jesus is saying, no, no, come to me. Sabbath doesn't just happen to you. I think what happens is we got to let the Spirit reframe us, and you have to desire the reframing. Do you understand? You have to desire to be reframed. And that's, that's what Jesus is getting at. It's a gift. And, but it's, it's, you know, no gift is good unless you take it, right? No gift is good. Have you ever been given a gift that you didn't open? I think I've opened every gift ever given to me. It's meant to be opened. A gift is meant to be received. But it doesn't work unless you open the package. Jesus said, come to me, and I'll give you rest. If we want to be like Jesus, we're going to have to practice the presence of God. I love what theologian Walter Brueggemann said. He said, people who keep the Sabbath live all seven days differently. They live all seven days differently. Now, Jesus said it this way. Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Let me teach you. You know what we call that? There's an old Baptist word we use for that. It's called lordship. Some of you that grew up in church might have heard that word when you were little. Lordship. It means he's lord over every area. And for us to be people who, if you want, listen, if you want to get close to God and you want to hear from God and you want to have joy, that's actually what Sabbath does for me more than anything. It's a joy restorer. It really does bring back joy. It's one of the tools, but it doesn't work unless I open the gift. If you, but it, you can't fall under it unless he's Lord of your life. And that's why I think he starts the verse of saying, come to me. He didn't say go to work, work more, carry more. But he did say all of you who are exhausted, if you'll let me teach you, I can teach you a different way. 
I can teach you a different way. See, Jesus walked with God. It wasn't just an early morning prayer exercise, one and done. He's out the door, read his devotion, got his podcast and his coffee, bam, right? That's not, that's not what he did. He walked with God, and he practiced the presence as he did it. You know, it means a lot to us that you would come here today and be a part of who we are. It really does matter to us more than you might realize. Sometimes I think we underestimate the power we have to influence people. You know, if you would look around your world, you'd be amazed at how many people would receive what you have to say to them. You could be a digital missionary. You don't have to post everything on Facebook, or we're not asking you to go on your favorite social platform, but I would challenge you to look around your world. I guarantee you might have a friend, even in a different state or another part of the world, something was said today, whether a sermon, a prayer, a song, something was said that could mean a lot to them. Man, send it to them. You'd be amazed at how much of a difference that could make.